Welcome back to the Cyclotist Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, August 15th. The Vuelta starts, well, less than a week from now. So we're going to talk a bit about that. We've got some transfer news. We've got some fantastic news about Egan Bernal coming back to bike racing. And joining me today to talk about all of it. Well, actually, uh, I'll start with Abby, although she's not currently available. <laughs> Uh, right as we hit record. So, so Abby, as a lot of you know, has a small baby child. Uh, oh, now I see Tom's in the little screen here. Uh, Abby has a small baby child and sometimes small baby children are loud. And so Abby is currently bouncing on a ball and trying to get this child to fall asleep again. So she will join us at a later time sometime during this podcast. Because we do have lots of things to talk about with Abby because the tour of Scandinavia was wrapped up over the weekend and had some fantastic racing also on hello hi i'm here there we go there we go she is there we just won't ask many questions soon (laughs) also on today's show we've got ronan how are you ronan i'm good yeah i had to uh do a quick wardrobe change there just before the podcast i was wearing a, a manchester united jersey and yeah, I thought I'd better not wear that to the podcast, given you two now are such fanatic football fans. So quickly changed that and ready to go. How are you feeling after the weekend as a Man- Manchester United fan? Dazed and confused. <laughs> Probably the first words that come to mind. Uh, Manchester United lost four, lost four nothing to Brentford on Saturday. Um, Brentford, a team that was only recently pulled up from the second division. Uh, well, beginning of last year. So, a shameful, symbolic display uh, on the part of <laughs> Ronan's preferred team. Johnny, how was your football team over the weekend? They did well. I mean, I was most surprised that I was getting texts from you about, it must have been like five, six in the morning, local time for you, about my football team, <laughs> which is not a, not a situation I ever thought I'd find myself in. But it was nice. We did well. Yeah, you guys had a pretty good... Aston Villa had a pretty good weekend. Uh, this is now the Football Tips podcast. Yeah, uh, Wolves, my my Wolves, we tied 0-0 over the weekend. So that was uh, not a great game. But anyway, we'll move, we'll move on. It's just we'll so weird. Every time you guys start talking about... Every time you start talking about football, I just want to be like, oh yeah, AFC Richmond, the best team out there. If, if football just, is like... Before we do Richmond, move on... Oh, oh is, that, is, is that um the TV show? Yes. Oh, my God. Are you serious? You haven't seen Ted Lasso? It's like the best show on TV. I it's refuse so to watch good. it. It's so good. Johnny, you, it's, nobody uh, cares what you think. It's in my local neighborhood. Okay, so but I, I know people. I know British people. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know British people who've seen it and like it, though. Yeah, they're all, they, they're all dead to me now. Hannah Barnes thought it was great. <laughs> Uh, Unbelievable. Anyway, we do have quite a lot to talk about today. Uh, we have some we have some cycling to talk about today. Like I said, the Vuelta kicks off in how many days? Well, by the time you listen to this, it'll be like five, four days, three days, three days. Friday kicks off on Friday. So we're going to talk through just some of the contenders today and a very sort of brief what the route looks like, because as we have been doing as of late, We'll run sort of a, a deeper dive preview episode later this week. So we'll go a deeper into everything later this week. But we want to we want to touch on the big stuff today. We'll get into you know, can Primoz Roglic win uh, a fourth consecutive time? 
will Remco Evenepoel do what we think he possibly could do? We'll get into all that stuff in a little bit. Well, let's kick things off with a little transfer talk, uh, and then we'll get into our little news hits and then continue on to the Vuelta. So, Abby, some of the biggest transfer news over the last week has been in the women's peloton. What's going on? UAE Team ADQ announced that they had hired Mavi Garcia, who's obviously an incredible climber and has really kind of stepped it up this season and last season um, to almost be able to compete with Anamik Van Vluten. She had an incredible Giro d'Italia, um, Giro Donna. So that's a huge move for Liv, who at this point is really struggling in the stage races or just any of the races. They have a couple good riders. They're really good at getting like third through eighth, but they've not been able to put together many notable results um, on the top step. So a big, big get for Liv. And then the other huge news is Ashley Moenpasio, who announced earlier this year that she would be retiring, is going to stick around for another year to ride for NextGen, AG Insurance NextGen, which is the formerly U23 development team um, that partners with, um, well, it's sponsored by Patrick Lafavre, so it's not really the women's <sighs> quick step team, but kind of is. I'll keep my opinions to myself on that situation. <laughs> it is two, it's two separate management structures. So that's worth noting. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, I mean, it's like similar. There's a bunch of women's teams that are like, have all the same sponsors, but are two different teams like EF, for example. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's not part of LaFavre's team, but he sponsors it. But anyway, so Ashley Monpasio will go there for next year and she's, um, been in the Peloton for a really long time. She's a seasoned rider, so she'll go in kind of like a leadership role in terms of who they will probably ride for at a lot of the big races, but also in a um, mentoring the younger riders role because that team was, up until next year, um, the only U23 women's pro team out there. So it's kind of a... We talked about it a lot on freewheeling this week. So if you want to hear like a really opinionated discussion of this move, you can listen to freewheeling. Um, but yeah, that it is a, it is a move. It's a move that's being made. Johnny on the men's side, uh, Carapaz Cavendish, Wellens, some movement and some, some rumors. What are we getting? The official stuff is from UAE team Emirates who signed Doman Novak from Bahrain. Victorious. Uh, he's a trading partner of Pagacha, so that's quite a simple one. Pagacha's like, hey, come and, come and ride for us, and you don't have to worry about any sort of getting woken up at 6 a.m. by drug tested Tour de France anymore, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> uh, Felix Groschartner, also moving over from, he's moving over from Bora, I think. I saw, I'm, I've, I've got August and I've forgotten all the cycling. Um, Tim Wellens is definitely moving from Lotto Sudal, and he's been there for a decade. He'd like to turn pro with them. And I think he's finally got to the point where he's like, you know, enough of whatever it is going on over there. I'm going to go to the other end of sort of the relegation pyramid and and see what's going on there, which will probably not be in a good mood for him. Um, the less official stuff is, well, no, it's official that Richard Carapaz is leaving the Ineos Grenadiers at the end of this year. It was kind of an odd thing. You don't see this that much, is that in the announcement for the Ineos's World to Espana squad, Rod Ellingworth, when he like talks about how much the riders are looking forward to it and how they hope to have a good race and all this, the same stuff that we, we could just like say now and probably get the, all the right quotes. He said that it was going to be Carapaz's last Grand Tour with the squad. And it was like buried, like 
halfway into this like 800 word press release which is is that that's a weird way to announce it right is it normal for teams to announce like that why would you do that just to quell speculation or i mean i guess it was it was kind of well our our good friends over at vela news uh reported in june that he was headed to ef right and mm. so it was kind of floating around already um and so maybe that's why they just felt like they needed to, con- to confirm it in some way, but wanted to wanted to bury it at the same time. But it is kind of a strange, a bit of a strange one there. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really yeah. fully understand. I, I I do think that Carapaz to EF is interesting. Uh, you know, Rigoberto Ron over there is sort of. Uh, well, I think at this point we can we can confidently say that he's not going for Grand Tour. GC podiums anymore, and so they they need somebody to replace him. Um, and Carapaz is as good a bet as anybody at this point in time. So it's an interesting move. Uh, has that actually been confirmed yet? Uh, no, he's or just reported. It's just well, he's confirmed to be leaving. But then see, I think it's between EF and Movistar. He's been heavily linked to a move right. back there, and they kind of have a similar whole of who do we support for Grand Tours now for GC right. bids. So right. that would also make sense, I guess. Both of them would make, would make sense. Both of those teams need somebody, and I wonder. I, I mean, I, I would imagine Carapaz is cheaper actually now than he was a couple of years mm. ago, um, when when he had so much sort of potential. And I feel like we've kind of seen him play out his potential now, and he's he's potentially more. That was a lot of potential in that sentence. Potentially more <laughs> uh, available and. Uh, the right price for a team like EF and and frankly like Movistar, which Movistar has never had sort of all the money in the world either. Speaking of the right price, Cavendish is still looking for a team and he's been linked again uh, by Gazetta, the Italian newspaper, to B&B Hotels. Although there'll be someone different next year. They're, who are they getting? They're getting that big pile of money. Is it Carrefour? Are they getting the Carrefour That's money? That's what we heard at the Tour yeah. de France. Yeah, we heard we heard that at the Tour de France. I Again, I do not believe that has been confirmed, but that's the rumor <laughs> that was floating around. The paddock at the tour was that they were going to get Carrefour, which is the giant uh, French grocery chain, yeah. and that they were going to get what it was something like fifteen million on top of sort of their or existing budget or something like that. Anyway, they they were talking about sort of starting a French super team yeah. at that point, which would mean that you know certainly they'd have the cash for for Cav. A uh, bit of an odd move, otherwise. Yeah, crazy, but. You know, you'd have to think that he would also want to bring some lead out with him, uh, or at least get some assurances from management that, yeah. that he'd be able to sign some additional riders. Because Cav going over to BNB Hotels just on his own is probably not going to be particularly effective. Yeah. But again, if if this if these sort of rumors around Carrefour, if these rumors around sponsors are true, uh, and I think we should probably find out relatively soon on that on that mm. front, um, then they'd certainly have the cash to to sort of build a team around a rider like Cavendish whether building a team around a rider of that age is a particularly good idea is probably a totally separate debate but I think that we all, we can all agree that Cavs probably get one more one more Tour de France win in him yeah, so and, yeah I I like to see that personally because you know Lefebvre has said many times now that there's no room for Cav in his team next year and Fabio Jakobsen sort of put a stamp on his control of that squad over the weekend by winning the European Championships. So really, Cav does need to go somewhere. It's just a matter of where. Well, and I guess the guarantee of a tour spot at B&B would make sense. I guess the only disappointment would be, specifically for our colleague Ian Trelaw, 
is that Carfor coming in probably means they're going to change their whole kit and vibe and look. So we would not see Cavendish as a men in glass, which sort of makes me not not buy into it as much as, you know. We never, oh, oh no, Ian did find out what men in glass means. It's like the color of the sea in, in Brittany, Brittany or yeah. something like that. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. It's a very specific, it's, it's a very specific shade of bluey green, which apparently is only found in the seas of Brittany. <laughs> that's such a specific tagline and makes no sense at the tour every time we went past one of their cars or like a men in glass poster like ian would visibly get excited about it i don't know what the hold is that, that team has over him but yeah ian's just a strange one on the front well is there anything else going on in the transfer market that's worth worth uh, chatting about it kind of all it, all, kind of it. it was all like really interesting for the first week and now it's kind of died down um, a bit of a lull, I guess, before because I guess the Vuelta's coming up, so everyone's like, wait until after that. Yeah, nothing yeah. huge. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, transfers can continue, and well, it really in, indefinitely. It's not like there's a mm. a set window in cycling. There is a start date, which is August first, but I mean, <laughs> we've also seen that just thrown out the window, and people do mid season transfers and all sorts of wonky stuff. So, yeah, it kind of happens all the time. We. I think we're just waiting for for answers to a couple of questions we mentioned earlier, like Carapaz and Cavendish. And there's been some; they've been pinned to various places with with various uh, levels of certainty. But at this point in time, nothing is actually 100 percent certain. So, next up on our little list here, the Tour de l'Avenir kicks off on Thursday. Uh, this literally translates to the Tour of the Future, and it is a it's a good name for a race uh that is exactly that it is it is almost always won by somebody who ends up being a very big deal going forward so ronan tell me a little bit about this year's total avenir what we can expect and and i don't know maybe who we should keep an eye on uh yeah well i might just uh touch first of all on that sort of prestigious history that you mentioned that the total avenir has looking over the last decade the winners include Tobias Foss, Tadej Pogacar, Egan Bernal, David Gaudu, Marc Soler, Miguel Angel Lopez, Warren Barguil, Esteban Chavez, Tyro Quintana. It it really is. It's a it's a true glimpse into the future, so to speak, of of who the the big names in the sport are going to be going forward. Um, having been involved with cycling Ireland previously, I would have kept a lot closer attention than I did do this year. But a quick scan of the start list, there is some. Big names riding the Tour de l'Avenir due to the fact that now World Tour riders who are under the age of 23 can represent their country in the race. Uh, we have a lot of names coming straight out of the World Tour or names who are going to be in the World Tour next year who will be racing in Tour de l'Avenir starting on Thursday. And a you know, quick scan through the start list again, probably the biggest name is Thibaut Nice. Uh, probably because of his father's name, but he's a exceptional writer in his own regard as well. He's already signed for Trek Segofredo, I think, was first in the European Championships last year. Uh, sixth in the world's, you know, massively talented, probably going to do big things. He's on the Belgian team, along with Kian Uterbrooks, who already rides for Bora Hansgrohe. Um, we've got Casper Van Uden, uh, who is, was riding for Team DSM, um, development team this year but has signed for the world tour squad uh he's one of the sprinters to watch in this year's race was fourth in scale prize this year and um, we've also got uh matches Vacek, who you might remember from taking a surprise one in the uae tour earlier this year uh he's another writer who's signed for 
track cycle fredo starting as of the first of august this year i think so uh, again another world rider uh the british team they have both sam watson who was massively impressive in the commonwealth games road race last weekend and leo hater who won every stage of the giro twice i think and the the age passed on the age <laughs> on the 23 this year um yeah it's it's a it's a startless stack full of um highly talented on the 23 riders who will be representing their national squads because that's kind of how the Tour de year works there I think there is a few exceptions but it's mostly national teams um and yeah it's uh it, it it's usually covered live uh on on various different channels I think I remember watching it the last couple of years um so yeah it, it's 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 one of those that with it being national teams with it being on the 23 uh, with there being no radios, uh, it usually makes for some exciting racing as well. So if it is going to be on live, uh, usually one worth tuning into. It's all national teams except for France, which has also some regional teams. Uh, well, it's their race, so they they could do that. Yeah, the uh, Britannia has its own team. Um, or no, sorry, uh, Auvergne Rhone Alpes has its own team in addition to the sort of big French team. Uh, Britannia is the British team. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> Which is just confusing. You guys need to figure out your naming uh, system over there. It's just, I don't really understand what's going on. <laughs> you, mu- you must be talking to Johnny there because Ireland has one clear team and it's named Ireland on the start list as well. And it's actually got uh, quite a few talented writers. And I'm just going to take a second to go through the Aries team. We've got Kevin McCambridge, Darren Rafferty, who's writing for... Uh, Axon Hagens Berman, the development squad this year, has already won uh, sort of on the 23 similar race to the Strada Bianchi on Gravel Rose. And that Matthew Devins, who writes for Trinity Racing, Dean Harvey, Archie Ryan, and Adam Ward. Now, Archie Ryan writes for the Yombo Visma development squad uh, and has been going well of late, overcome a few injuries. So uh, I'm going to expect all the Cyclantist podcast listeners to be getting behind the Irish team in Turtle Lavenier. <laughs> I like Archie Ryan's name. I think it's a great name. That's all I know about him now. What else? What else can you tell me about Archie Ryan? Uh, I can. T- well, he's been injured for the last couple of seasons. Uh, he's a writer who showed a lot of potential early, early on in his career, riding cyclocross road, pretty much anything with two wheels. Um, but as it struggled with injury the last couple of seasons, seems to be injury free this year, uh, and had has, has had a couple of uh, top tens and two point two stage races already this season. So uh, he is probably a natural climber. So could be one to watch when the race does hit the Alps and um, towards the middle of next week. Well, it sounds like that's who the Cycling Tips podcast is rooting for. There you have it. There you go, listeners out there. Go find Archie on social media. Send him a note and say you're rooting for him at the Total Avenue this week. I, I was going to I was going to message him just to say, you know, when, just as we're chatting there, uh, listening to the podcast this week, which I'm sure he does anyway, but uh, might just leave it now and see how he reacts to just his, his inbox getting flooded with well wishes from strangers. <laughs> Please do do that. Uh, we should, well, we, I don't know what he, what's, what's his, what's his like Instagram handle? I don't know what it is. His Instagram handle. This is what happens anytime you give Ronan like any job on the podcast. It's like we're going to quickly mention the tour of Lavender, and then like twenty minutes later, Ronan's talking about the Irish. Well, team. I have just followed Archie Ryan on Instagram. Uh, his Instagram handle is Ur- Archie Ryan. R R. Basically, 
C. Yeah, it's like R C Ryan, but swap the first A for an R. So it's R R G yep. Ryan. There Maybe. you go. I'll follow. There <laughs> we go. Send him a note. Tell him that you're uh, you're rooting for him, and we're expecting big things next week from Archie. Uh, in fact, you know, I I I just don't want to be disappointed uh, at the end of the week. That's that's all I'm hoping for. Do you want to know something else quick about yeah. Archie Ryan? I do. He he likes to play the Frozen, uh, like the film Frozen version of Uno, the card game. <laughs> I just like him more and more. Yeah. Every everything we learn, everything we learn. I'm I'm a bigger fan of Archie Ryan, and so he is the official. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say mascot, but that's not the right word. He's the official. Uh, we're all cheering for everyone in the Cyclist Podcast is cheering for Archie Ryan at the Total Avenue next week. Apologies to everybody else in the Irish team, but uh, Archie has the best name. So, moving on from moving on from Tour de Lavenir, Abby, the Tour of Scandinavia wrapped up over the weekend, a phenomenal race, uh, and one that we've been pretty excited about for a long time. Um, ended up being relatively dominated by Mariana Voss on a stage level, uh, but every single day was fascinating and. By the by, sort of the latter third of the race, the question of how to beat her uh, was definitely sort of top of mind, and teams were trying all sorts of stuff, and it made for some fascinating finales. So, well, talk me through it. What what where do we end up at the Tour of Scandinavia? Yeah, Voss won four out of the six stages. Uh, four out of the six stages came down to a bunch sprint. Well, five out of six, almost the. Stage four was a break of five that made it to the line, but Voss and Peloton caught them like on the finish line. So Alex Manley actually won stage four, um, but but the time gaps were nothing. But yeah, if you look at the results from Tour Scandinavia, you think, oh, this race doesn't look great. Like Voss won four out of six stages, but everything that was going on before the finish line and obviously Voss winning was really fascinating there was attack after attack after attack flying for pretty much every single stage all the way through even Yumbo Visma was trying other tactics all the time like for the final stage they had a Noska Koster up the road solo until very very late in the race like the final kilometer so it was a super fascinating race and I think Voss is just it's not that she's on another level right now it's she she is riding incredibly well. We already saw that at the Tour de France Femme of Zwift, but it's also this this race is kind of weirdly placed in the calendar right after the Giro and the Tour and teams are riders are tired. And so the start list was maybe a little bit lax, um, but it, so that I think had something to do with her looking so dominant, but Overall, it was a really good race. And Cicely Utrecht-Ludwig won the general classification and the Queen stage. And her speed on the and at the end of the Queen stage, it was basically her versus Leona Lippert coming into the line together. And Sile was leading out the sprint and then just opened it up and dropped Lippert. And Lippert's a pretty quick rider as well. So it was overall, it was a really good race. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt to me less about boss being a, a level above and more that the finale suited sort of this version of her really well. Right. I mean, we've kind of known different Mariana bosses over the years, over, over the what close to 15 years now that, that she's been uh, a professional all the way back from like Mariana boss that could win the Giro 
to Mariana Voss that basically wins anything that 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 finishes in a hard sprint. And it just felt like it, you know, it just suited her really well. There's there's there were hard stages. They were closely fought. Other teams were intentionally making them really, really hard because it was kind of their only chance to get rid of Voss. Uh, but it, it ended up kind of working in in her favor most of the time, with the exception of that. I think it was stage five, like you said, where uh, the brake essentially stuck, but only by about one bike length. And even on that day, Voss left the rest of the peloton behind by two bike lengths or so. Uh, it was a, a super impressive display and just good racing all week. Like I, I, I like the racing up in that part of the world. You get wind, you get all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was just fun. It was a fun watch. Yeah, there was a couple like gnarly crashes. SD Works lost half of their team on stage four in a roundabout with 4K to go, including Demi Vollering, which obviously would have really impacted the general classification battle because she was coming off the tour with such good form. But the the racing was incredible. I think it's a bummer that once you hit the end of the Tour de France, especially this year with it being like a four-week-long tour, basically, with the men's and the women's, there's a lot of like bike racing fatigue now. I mean, I don't know if I'm speaking just for myself or like everybody um, in the world, but yeah, there's a lot of bike racing fatigue. So I think that this race didn't get quite the attention that it deserves, but nevertheless, it was a great race. And I think that they plan to expand it in the future. They had a lot of issues with getting the race kind of up and running. They announced in 2019 that they would take over the tour of Norway and make it the tour of Scandinavia and add in Denmark and Sweden. And then they had to really dial it back. Originally, it was going to be 10 stages, and then they had to change it to six, and they wanted to include Vagarda, and then they didn't. And so there was a lot of that. They had to change the name last minute. But, like, it, it's a really good race, and the organizers really are very excited to put on this display for women cycling. And we also got, like, 80 kilometers of live coverage every day, which is great. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well... We got a couple of little news bits we want to get to before we chat Vuelta. Uh, short one. Egan Bernal is coming back to bike racing, right, Johnny? Yeah, he's lining up at the Tour of Denmark, which starts tomorrow. And weirdly, they Ineos had already announced their team for Tour of Denmark, the seven rider list with Garrett Thomas riding. And then sort of rumors uh, started to come up, like Dan Benson from Vela News was one of the people saying, oh, Egan Bernal could return to Denmark. And I was like, is this true? They've already like got the team out, but then he was a late inclusion. Um, Rod Ellingworth said that you know they weren't they weren't aiming for a certain race to bring him back. It was all like whether you know he he was ready and it was a performance related assessment. But he passed like, his final medical checks and he'll be returning seven months after his crash. It was very confusing because in all the Ineos press releases, unless I'm going crazy, all of them said eight months, but from late Jan to late August or mid August is seven months, right? I'm not going crazy. No, you're right. Although I've proven on this podcast numerous times, I'm not really. Good oh yeah. <laughs> so so maybe we just well, it's, it's less than a year, which is what um Egan Bernal said in his his post about it. He's pretty. He seems pretty excited. It's also been rough for him. I mean, not just the crash, but all the sort of rehabilitation. So it's a nice, good news story from the world of cycling, which some you don't always get one that's just like this is a good thing. Yeah, and obviously, still remains to be seen. Sort of, sort of whether he can return to his previous level. But I think given what came out shortly after his crash, the fact that he's just back racing is something that we need to celebrate and, and just be very happy about. And let's not talk about, can he win the Tour de France again? Cause I think that is, that is absolutely putting the cart well ahead of the horse at this point. Uh, 
he's all, oh. other I guess little. Oh, I was okay. just going to say he's he's also got like quite a long contract with Ineos, so it's not like he's got like another year or another two years to find to find any sort of form. So that's quite nice that he has that sort of job security where he can take his time. I guess is that I don't know if that's a weird thing to say, but that's how I that's how I feel about it. I didn't realize I was such a big egg amber well, fan, but <laughs> clearly I am. <laughs> no, uh, like coming back from injury like that, I mean. It, the ability to take your time is is probably a good thing. Granted, he's a competitive athlete and probably has no interest in taking yeah. his time. Like wants to come back as soon as as soon as possible. But uh, the fact that he could fail to perform this fall entirely and not have to worry about you know finding a contract for next year that uh, surely is a huge amount of stress off, which should help recovery. That coupled with you know obviously we're only seeing it from the outside looking in or. We're only really seeing it through Instagram posts that Bernal puts up, but it seems like his recovery has been remarkably straightforward so far. You know, he was very quickly back in the bike. He was very quickly back in Europe. He's now back racing much quicker than anybody anticipated when the crash first happened. And, you know, given, as we just mentioned, that he, he doesn't exactly need to rush back because he has contract for, for another couple of years, that to me suggests a sort of, you know, that, he, he he his recovery has gone a lot better than we might have expected. We've seen riders have, you know, horrific injuries in the past, and it, more often than not, we hear they're planning a comeback at such and such a race, and then that's postponed, and then they're planning another comeback in such and such a race, and that's postponed. Whereas with Bernal, it's been the opposite, where we sort of are only hearing positive news coming out of his camp. Uh, yeah, I mean, from a from a sort of PR perspective, I think it's been exceptionally well handled. Uh, I don't know who we who we give kudos to over there. Yeah, George, George Hannah, <laughs> yeah. Rod, Dave. All of them. Let's give let's give <laughs> let's give let's give some kudos to to George and Hannah, the the PR team over there. Who, yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they haven't made big promises that they couldn't keep, right? Uh, and I think that's probably good for Bernal too. Like it's good for his sort of mental health and and like I said, like stress levels and things like that to just sort of be under no pressure to return until he's ready. Like I, I'm assuming that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to race the tour of Denmark this weekend. He feels like he's ready. The numbers show that he's ready. You know, he's hopefully in minimal or no pain at this point. Uh, and so, yeah, that that's sort of the, the, the best possible way to do it. And you could certainly compare it favorably to some other notable returns as of late that, like you said, Ronan, we're just a lot of sort of back and forth and, and, Oh, we're going to be at this race. Oh no. You know, it's too early, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, glad to see Bernal back in action at the Tour of Denmark. A uh, couple other quick little news hits. If you follow the U.S. Kind of off-road scene, uh, Leadville and Steamboat Gravel were over the weekend. Keegan Swenson on the men's side absolutely obliterated both races. Uh, came within two minutes of the uh, course record at Leadville on Saturday and then turned around and did the 140 mile steamboat gravel on Sunday and won that one as well. So Keegan Swenson, who's a 28 year old, he's a, he's a multi-time U.S. national mountain bike champion. Um, and I forget who I saw post it, but somebody mentioned the fact that, you know, if there's any world tour teams out there looking for some insane watt per kilo numbers, he'd be a pretty good bet. Uh, I mean, he beat, he beat a number of, exceptional riders uh twice over the weekend um including like nikki terpster came over uh, and raced uh over the weekend yeah like some some it, these races are kind of becoming a bit of a 
a bucket list thing, I feel like, for some of the European pros. I mean, Peter Sagan's come over and, and raced American gravel races before and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Swenson just absolutely hammered everybody. And, you you know, you had Lachlan Morton in these in these races. You had Alex House. Granted, House had uh, a pretty nasty crash at Leadville on Saturday. And I think Lachlan had a, a flat at some point or some other mechanical that really sent him off the back. But still, super impressive rides. Of course, Keegan Swenson, former Everesting world record holder, also <laughs> former most most, uh, most importantly. Yeah, Ronan, uh, how much how much slower did he go than you? Oh, I don't know, seventy two minutes, like. But who's who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> seventy two minutes and some amount of seconds, and, and yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, if there's any World Thirteens out there looking for someone <laughs> even faster, we've got one right here on this podcast. The men in glass. <laughs> You could you could lead that Cav Ronan, couldn't you? Tour Denmark. Mm, well, we could we could then have forty one shades of green in Ireland. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I feel like glass has got to be in Ireland somewhere. It's yeah, gotta be. maybe not in the ocean, but you've got it somewhere. <laughs> you've got enough green up there. Anyway, uh, on the women's side, Hannah Otto won Leadville, a, another pretty uh, impressive performance, won by about five minutes. I think her time was 7 14 12, something like that. I, I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, and then Lauren DiCrescenzo uh, repeated at Steamboat Gravel on Sunday, uh, ahead of Whitney Allison and Ruth Winder, friend of the, friend of the podcast. So, Two days of exceptional racing, and obviously all these are part of this lifetime series with a whole bunch of money on the line at the end that has been somewhat controversial in the sort of American gravel racing, mountain bike racing world. In fact, Leah Davidson, a a U.S. Olympian, uh, recently pulled out of that series saying that basically, like, this isn't why I race gravel. Like, this is not, it's not, it's not safe and it's not fun and I just don't want to do it anymore. So... We don't need to go down that rabbit hole at the moment, but uh, yeah, just an ongoing piece of that of that interesting gravel pie puzzle thing. Uh, the spirit of gravel uh, rising again or falling, or I, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> there was some non-spirit of gravel that happened over the weekend too, but we won't. We don't need to get in too far into that. There was some t- attacking through feed zones and things like that. But I get the sense that I think our listeners are probably already bored by me talking about this. So let's talk Vuelta. So like I said, we're, we're going to do a deeper dive on the Vuelta later this week, right before the race starts. Uh, but just so everybody out there knows, because I'm sure that most of our listeners have probably not done their homework on the Vuelta just yet. We don't blame you. Uh yeah, still a bit of, of bike racing fatigue. The Vuelta always comes... Bike racing fatigue. By, it, yeah. it always comes like two weeks closer to the Tour de France than I think it's going to. Like in my head, it starts in the middle of September and it ends in the middle of September every single year. And so it always sort of sneaks up on me. But anyway, the the route this year is actually quite interesting. I mean, it's 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 not too far off of a sort of a normal Vuelta route. They're, they're always exceptionally difficult. There's always lots of steep climbs in there. But there's only one or category climb in the entire route this year uh, in Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada. There are also two probably quite definitive time trials. There's a team time trial uh, to open the race at 23 kilometers team time trial. So that's a pretty long TTT. The last TTT 
in the race was, I believe, 2019. It was only 13 kilometers, and we still saw gaps of like a minute plus after that one. So that could just explode the race right from the start. And then we've got an individual time trial of 30 kilometers on stage 10, and that is pan flat. Uh, And so that is also not really going to work in the favor of a lot of the sort of big names on the start list, really with the exception of probably Primoz Roglic, who we'll get to in a minute. Um, the last week, so so the, the, the really nasty climbing is kind of packed into the second week of the Vuelta this year. Um, but the last week is not anything to sort of scoff at. Just so I can kind of put it in context here, the route for the last couple of days is actually not all that dissimilar. In fact, uses a number of the same climbs as when uh, Tom Dumoulin lost his Vuelta to Fabio Aru in 2015. Uh, that was largely, if you'll recall, the result of a super strong team with Fabio Aru. And they, they basically just, they just put the boots to, to Dumoulin. But still, it, it shows that those last couple of days, even without any big HC climbs or anything like that, they're exceptionally tricky on the way into Madrid. Uh, and they are, it is not a processional in the way that, uh, well, the Tour de France is, for example, where this thing could come down to the very last day, uh, which will make, hopefully, for some exciting racing. It's it's this it's this interesting combination this year of pretty TT heavy course with a lot of just kind of like punchy, opportunistic kind of climbs, uh, as well as some big ones on that second week to sort of balance everything out. So that's, that's the route that we're looking at. Again, I'm we'll go into way more detail later this week. I just wanted to kind of provide an overview of it. Johnny, who are the big names lining up for the Vuelta this year? The biggest name in access this morning, much to the probable disappointment of every other GC hopeful in the race is Primoz Roglic will return from injury. He left the tour on stage 15, sort of when it became clear that it'd be Vingegaard versus Pog for the, the Tour de France, and they're like, right, Primoz, you, you go off. If you can recover in time for the Vuelta, then that's yours as it is every year, and you can you can lead that team. Um, I was reading somewhere today that the Spanish press have started calling Jumbo Visma and Roglic the clockwork bananas because uh, they yeah. just sort of turn up for the past three years and win the race. Not easily, but win the race. Um, and... Hoodie mentioned this to me a little while ago, and I I, I love it because obviously Hoodie Hoodie's our our colleague Andrew Hood over Valen is, is is based in Spain and reads Spanish papers, and he messaged me about it the other the other day. It was like this is the best name for this yeah. team because we've been calling them like the Bumblebees and whatever else, but really the Clockwork Banana is significantly <laughs> significantly better than that. It's like an like an eighties band or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> when you mentioned that team time trial, the obviously Jumbo Visma squad is going to be strong anyway, but now it's Roglic looks even more of a shoe in for a fourth world title. You know, you've got Rohan Dennis, um, Eduardo Affini, you know, like Mike Turnison, people like that, like, and Roglic himself. I mean, so we could see huge gaps then already. Um, Ineos, Ineos, the, the likely, with Richard Carapaz, probably the next likely team to try and, I've, I've started sort of writing the preview, I can't even remember, I'm, yeah, the bike racing fatigue is real, I'm trying to remember who, who are these people who ride bikes yeah, probably Richard Carapaz, you'd say, with that Enios, that Enios lineup. They're, they've got a super strong team as well. They've got four debutants, but you wouldn't know it sort of from the names. You've got the likes of Luke Plapp, Ethan Hayter, uh, Ben Turner, and Carlos Rodriguez all making their their debuts in Grand Tours, and they're backed up by Pavel Sivakov, Theo Gagan-Hart, and Dylan Van Baal. 
Um, I would say they're the main two. Really got Simon Yates for bike, uh, riding for Bike Exchange. That would probably take quite a, a big effort on his part to overcome Carapaz and uh, and Roglic. Remco Evanapol is the big question mark again. But Quickstep are bringing a team to to support him. They've got Uli, Julian 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 Alaphilippe, <laughs> not Julian Alaphilippe. Um, they got Juice Devon and Zeremy Cavagna. Oh, you're in Spain. Maybe it is Julian. Okay. Yeah, too accurate. Um, Fausto Masnada, Ilan Van Wilder. There's a team there to try and see what Remco Evenepoel can do. That one's really interesting to me, to me just because Patrick Lefevre has said over and over that that next year is is the Evenepoel year for his team. Right. And that like it, they make making it sound like they're going to be all in for Remco at the Tour de France next year. And so well, nothing we've seen suggests really that Remco is a genuine contender for three week Grand Tours yet. He's a contender for almost anything else, but he is not at the moment does not appear to be a genuine contender for three week Grand Tours. And so this is kind of a this is a big one. I think this is a big moment. And if, if he can hold it together over the course of three weeks. I, you know, then we start to talk about him next year as, as potentially to some, somebody to take on Pogaccio and Vigigo because we know he's that level talent. He just hasn't been able to sort of put it all together yet. I just want to sit back and watch what Rambo can do. And if, you know, if we talk up that he may or may not be able to do this now or in the future, you know, it, it, no matter what he does, it seems like it, it might be underwhelming. Whereas if we just go, right, this guy, uh, is insanely talented. Let's just see what he can do. And I think I'm partly sort of saying this because I read the the Frank Frank Vandenbroek book recently, and yeah, that just the sort of the uh, attention that that he had in Belgium and the pressure that he was put under in Belgium. Granted, with a few other factors thrown into the mix, also um, didn't didn't really help. To put it to to put it very lightly, <laughs> yes, yes. Factors uh, and I, other I, factors. I dare yeah. say those same other factors uh, aren't at play in Remco Evenepoel's career. Um, so he, he's off to a better footing already. Um, but let's let's just let's just see what the young fella can do, rather than hyping him up. I I hundred percent agree, and and I I I feel like maybe Patrick Lefevre should stop talking about next year being the year of Remco if if that is the way that we're that we want to approach this. Oh, I thought you were going to say I think Patrick Lefevre should stop talking. I, well, that. <laughs> no, because the what would we talk about? <laughs> if he stopped talking, what would we talk about? No, a quick quick plug for that book. Uh, God is dead. Andy McGrath, um, superb. Uh, read and highly recommended and Andy is also just a really good guy and friend of the podcast so go check that one out if you're looking for your next cycling related read anyway back to back to Remco what were you gonna say Johnny well the the other thing that Patrick Lefebvre has been speaking about is Julian Alaphilippe um, and how he was saying that last year at the tour Alaphilippe was sort of using the race as sort of prep for the worlds and although Alaphilippe did last year win a stage and take yellow yeah, um, so it's like what, what you're complaining about. So he's he's wanting Alaphilippe to go to the Vuelta and win stage or stages for the team and not focus on taking another rainbow jersey. But um, I guess it's interesting spe- speaking about Evan Pohl, Evan Pohl's year being next year because then is this Vuelta, can that be seen in terms of quick step, figuring out how to balance having those two in a Grand Tour team? I don't know. I mean, yeah, quick step has has that problem anyway. I, and I don't, I honestly don't think that 
what Lefevre has said is is accurate. Like, I don't think that they're going to go all in for Remco and like leave Fabio Jakobsen at home, right? That they're they're not they're not going to do that. They're gonna they're gonna go in essentially with a team like they have a couple times in recent years where you know they're gonna have a, they're gonna have a lead out train. Those guys are also pretty good at keeping a GC contender safe in the first week, and so they kind of play double duty there. You've got Philippe to go do Philippe things. Pop probably take yellow at some point. Probably take a bunch of stages, uh, and then Evenepoel to kind of sit in the background, and and maybe that is sort of the best way for for that to work, right? Is like you were saying, Ronan, you know, take a little bit of the pressure off. Let him just do what he can do. And if you're already winning stages with two other riders, then, then, well, we at least won't have as much pressure on him. Belgian media may be a totally separate thing. Uh, but that sounds like if if I was going to put this team together and, and, and thank goodness I'm not, uh, that's how I would do it anyway, right? Just sort of like give him one or two good climbing domestiques tell Alaphilippe that he's riding for Remco in the last week if he's still up there. But otherwise, kind of just let the guy's talent uh, do its thing. And I, I by, by the guys, I mean all three of those, Jakobsen, Alaphilippe, and Evenepoel, just let them do their thing. And they're so good that they will, the, the team will come out of the race with with something, for sure. A, a team at the Vuelta who you think are surely going to do something at Bora Hansgrohe, because their team is kind of great and a bit crazy and they'd say I'll run through it they got Jai Hindley Giro winner this year Jonas Koch Danny Van Popper Wilco Kelderman Sergio Higuita Sam Bennett uh, Emmanuel Bookman and Ryan Mullen and it's sort of like if you're putting it's like a fancy team almost it seems like where you have to like balance your budget before you can't spend it all on like one big guy and you're kind of hedging your bets but it's just it's a fun team I don't know I like the the whole vibe of it is great is it true they're trying to win every stage yeah, exactly. <laughs> they brought somebody for every single option. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm I'm genuinely intrigued to see what Hindley does. I mean, we we kind of prior to this year's Giro, we we really counted him out and and said that you know his previous Vuelta uh, or sorry his previous Giro, you know him versus Teo and whatever else, and um, was it was a bit of a weird one because it was COVID times and the start list was weird, and then he goes and wins like another Giro over top of Carapaz, like a serious, serious victory. And so for some reason, we still don't, he's still not top of mind for me when I'm looking at contenders. I mean, I was looking through the start list and I'm making a list, you know, the other day of, of, of riders I think are, are, are legitimate GC contenders. And I got six or seven guys down and then I was like, Oh, right. Jai Henley. And I don't know why that is. Maybe that's my blind spot. I mean, the guy won a grand tour this year. But for some reason, that's that's still the way that that I think of him, and I think another good ride at this Vuelta would maybe change that per- more permanently. Um, I don't think he's going to beat Roglic at this Vuelta. I think that there's very little chance of that, given all the TTKs. But yeah, podium, I, I think he's he's absolutely in with a shot. Um, another guy who's aiming for the podium and is looking to emulate Geraint Thomas, and he said this is Nairo Quintana. But yeah, the time trial kilometers are the big barrier. But yeah, Nairo man is um, looking to emulate a 35-year-old Welshman. I was going to say, what does he mean by that? But he just means be old and come in second. Is that what he's... In third, yeah. Third? Yeah, third. I guess so. I guess, And you know what? There are many more things that are worse to desire in this world. So, <laughs> you know, he conquered the cobbles in the tour and now he wants to, wants to do that. I, I love Nairo man. Like I genuinely... He's such an interesting rider to me. Like 
Mm. You stand next to him, and he—I mean—he's—he's like—he's so small. He's so small, and yet, yeah, yeah, crushed the cobble stage at the Tour de France is for some reason amazing in crosswinds. Like none of it makes any sense to me, Uh, and so I—I will personally be rooting for Nairo to to emulate Mm -hmm. Garrett Thomas and find himself on the podium at 35 years old at the end of this Vuelta. And he just extended his contract for like three years, didn't he? Oh, did he? I missed that. It's going to pull a Valverde. Yeah. Going to pull a Valverde. Yeah. Speaking of Valverde, he is going to, he's going to be in this Vuelta as well. It's the last one. This is the, this yeah. is the, the goodbye be- tour. I'll believe it when he's not there next year. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> God damn it, Ronan. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, true. Uh, he also, I, I mean, he's, said that he just wants to get points for Movistar at this point and keep them in the world tour. So I would assume he's going to be pretty aggressive. Uh, although there's, there's the point system is so weird that there's actually, it's, it's really hard to get any significant amount of points out of a, out of a grand tour. I have a question on the points system. I don't know if anybody here can answer it. That's why I'm asking it. Uh, <laughs> Cause it could make for an interesting conversation. Does each writer get points if the team wins the team time trial or does the team get one allocation Ooh. of stage winning points? Because um, Yeah, how does that work? When I when I look at the start list and see team bike exchange, obviously Simon Yates is our big name writer, but it's kind of like the Green Age teams of old where they're like team time trial specialists almost with the lineup they have Durbridge, Hepburn, Craddock, Hamilton, Scottson, Groves, O'Brien and then Yates. Uh, and there are another team who are you know, a little bit safer now than it looked earlier in the season, but could definitely do with a few points. And what, if they got all those points each for one stage, wouldn't it be quite handy, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Although, of course, it is only the top 10 that count, or the team's top 10 writers that count. But Yeah, we'd have to go We'd have to go look at, at who has who has the points for that team and whether some of those time trials are, are up there. I don't know the answer to that question. I, I mean, No, I didn't. Like the results sheet at the end of a TTT, or like the GC, for example, at the end of a TTT, just you know, everyone's just in order, right? And first rider across the line is in first, and second rider across the line is in second. And in theory, I think then you would get all the points. But I, so is it just the top know. three across the line that get the points as per right. any other stage. I we need to, we need to get this sorted before brief, the podcast goes out, and other people get the idea. Brief, brief glimpse into the inner workings of quick. my brain there. <laughs> And the kind of questions that <laughs> pop up. We just got a, we got a text from Love Island Jacob just now. Oh yeah, is he explaining how it works to us? <laughs> no, 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 just that Trek signed Matthias Vacek, the writer who we mentioned earlier in this contract. podcast. Yeah, yeah, he did some good foreshadowing there, Ronan. Confirmed by Vichek. the WhatsApp group and Love Island Jacob. Thank you, Love Island Jacob. We appreciate you. Ya- All right, Jacob or Jacob. Jakob. Uh, <laughs> all right. I think it's time for us to wrap up today. Uh, before we do, there was some other some other big CT news last week. Uh, Cycling Tips founder, and I don't know what his title has been for the last couple of years, actually. Uh, head honcho, big cheese, our boss, uh, our, our, our dear leader. Wade Wallace uh, is, well, he resigned last week. He's off to some other pastures. Uh, and we are exceptionally sad to see him go. Uh, you, a lot of you probably caught the, the post that we put up on the website. Um, a lot of the staff have dropped sort of comments underneath that one as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, just, just from, a, from a personal perspective, you know, I came to Cycling Tips in t- 
to the end of 2017, I think it was. And then got, uh, he, he moved me into the editor job about a year later in 2018 sometime. Um, and I've never had a better boss than Wade Wallace. I came to this, I came to this company. I came to this, this media outlet because of Wade. And I think that almost everybody else, actually, I think everybody else, uh, can, can say something similar. You know, we came to cycling tips because of sort of what it means and what it is. And, and because we just liked consuming the things that, that were already being put out there. And it was sort of the most interesting media outlet to go to. Um, and I think we're all exceptionally proud to work here now and, and exceptionally proud to, to essentially be tasked with continuing the legacy that, that Wade has built. I mean, he, he built this thing on his kitchen table as a blog in what, 2008, kind of turned it into a business in 2013 and hired people like Matt Deneef and Andy Van Bergen. And the rest of us have come on slowly. And, you know, now it's this, it's this whole big staff and this whole big thing and millions of people on the site every month. And it, it, it's incredible how far cycling tips has come. And that, that largely comes down to the passion and vision uh, of Wade Wallace. And so we bid Wade adieu uh, and we will absolutely miss working with him. Uh, but we also just say thank you because the reason why the four of us are sitting here. The reason why everybody's at the Tour de France was at the Tour de France. The reason why we're all working here is because Wade built this incredible thing. So yeah, thanks Wade. Uh, and enjoy whatever you're, whatever you're off to do next. And with that, thanks everybody. We will be back later this week with a Vuelta preview that goes significantly deeper than the one we just did all about the route route. I always, you guys confuse me with your English and American and whatever else, all about the route and all about the contenders and the sprinters and everything else, all little details. So if you are going to be watching the Vuelta and you want to know what to keep an eye out for, make sure you catch that episode. Go check out this week's freewheeling. If you want more opinions on Tour of Scandinavia, what were the other, the other opinions that you had, Abby, this, this week? Oh, we did. We talked a lot about the transfers on That's women's right. side. That's right. Well. Lots of transfer opinions. And, of course, we've got Nerd Alert again this week. Uh, in fact, James just texted me and said, hey, can you do it tomorrow morning? So we've got another Nerd Alert coming later this week as well. Make sure you check them all out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.